Good evening on India Decides at 9 o'clock. The top headlines tonight. Political speculation a buzz in Delhi after the Congress main spokesperson snapped to Digvijay Singh. Janadhan Devedi says the Sonia Gandhi-Manmohan Singh combination is a never-before, never-seen relationship. He adds that this is a model for the future as well. Rahul Gandhi has not ruled out being Prime Minister if the UP comes to power, he says. But right now, his priority is the party. Rahul Ji has said that as much as I can understand or the party can understand, it is that the question of the Prime Minister is not the question of the A CPIM student leader dies after being injured in police custody. Activists with him say he was thrashed brutally. The police say that he hit his head on a lamppost when he was being taken into a police van. This after protest by left uh, young student leaders there. Bengal cops blame the left says this is an example of Mamta Banerjee's lawlessness. In Gujarat, outrage after a diluted version of the Lokayukt bill is passed in the state assembly. Narendra Modi easily gets it through with his majority. According to this, the governor and the high court chief justice will not have a say in the appointment of the state Lokayukt. Also, the Lokayukt will have to seek permission from the government before acting on a complaint and its report will not be binding. Well, some of India's biggest film stars, Rajnikant, Kamal Hassan and others, joined protests against Sri Lanka over alleged atrocities against Tamilians. At a day-long fast in Chennai, the stars demand that India impose sanctions against Sri Lanka, but also appeal to protesters not to commit suicide over this emotive issue. The billionaire brothers, Bukesh and Anil Ambani, join hands over a 1200 crore rupee deal for a new telecom venture. The younger Ambani, Anil, will share his fiber optic network to help his elder brother Mukesh Ambani roll out his fourth generation broadband service. It's their first venture since they divided the Reliance Empire in 2005. Our top story, India's biggest ever corporate fine, 100 crores, has been levied on Sterlite Industries owned by billionaire Anil Agarwal of Vedanta because of pollution caused by its copper smelting plant in Tamil Nadu. The Supreme Court, however, set aside a Madras High Court order which had shut down this plant for good. The Supreme Court cited, amongst other reasons, the employment provided by Sterlite Industries. However, it said that the plant can only reopen once it complies with environmental guidelines. This relief meant a rise in Sterlite share prices despite the 100 crores fine. But politicians and activists said they were disappointed because they say the damages caused to residents near the plant are much, much more. 100 crore rupees, the first time a massive fine has been imposed on a polluting unit. The culprit, the Sterlite Copper Smelting Plant in Tutukorin, Tamil Nadu. See, the message is very clear. Either the industry takes remedial measures and sets right its house in order, the industry must not pollute beyond the permissible limit. The Supreme Court said the fine is for damaging the environment for 15 years and operating without a valid renewal. Yet, today's order is actually good news for billionaire promoter Anil Agarwal. The plant can remain open now as a High Court order closing it has been struck down. I will make a file a review petition and we will mobilize the public are totally agitated. This 100 crores is just a pittance. Sterlite welcomes the judgment given by the Supreme Court. Ironically, the plant was shut down last week in a separate case after complaints of a gas leak. But Sterlite says it adheres to the highest environmental standards. It's now up to the state government to reopen the plant. 
Sterilite will have to deposit 100 crores with the Tutukurin collector within three months. The interest on this amount will be used for environmental restoration. Also, another legal battle avoids Sterilite with the Tamil Nadu Pollution Control Board shutting the plant, citing gas leak. With Sam Daniel in Chennai, this is Arunachalam Vaidyanathan for NDTV. Moving to the big debate tonight, angry reactions coming from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and representatives of international pharmaceutical firms predicting a dip in investment in India after a Supreme Court judgment which said no to Novartis getting a patent for a modified version of its anti-leukemia drug, Glivec. The judgment will have huge implications for other drugs made by companies who have challenged India's tough anti-patent laws currently in Indian courts. But from doctors to the larger aid community and health activists, most importantly from patients, the response has been overwhelming. The judgment, they say, is literally the difference between life and death for them. 37-year-old Noor Islam Sheikh has been battling cancer for two and a half years. Keeping him alive, this generic Indian drug that Noor Islam gets from a charity at a hugely subsidized rate of 1850 rupees. Its actual cost is more than his salary. I get 1850 for Noor, the Supreme Court's verdict comes as a huge relief. On Monday, the Apex Court rejected a patent plea by Swiss pharma giant Novartis AG on its cancer drug, Glivec. The life-saving drug is patented in 40 other countries and costs a lakh and 20,000 rupees a month. Novartis argued it deserved a new patent, which would not allow any Indian company to copy the drug. The Supreme Court ruled the new Glivec is not very different from its older Aftar. Since decades, Western biotech companies have tried to hold on to their patents and through them massive profits from their older drugs by just slightly tweaking their composition. This process termed as evergreening gives a company a near continuous monopoly on the drug, allowing it to command its price in the market. Soon after the verdict, Novartis decided not to invest on research and development in India, sparking a debate. Will this impact future innovations in medicine? America has already hit out, saying the judgment will negatively impact businesses' ability to invest in tomorrow's medical and technological advancements. The flip side of this could be that uh, probably the American companies or foreign companies, MNCs, would hold their innovation. They may not launch the products in India or they may uh, not target the Indian market. And it all depends. Does this inculcate a lazy attitude for R&D uh, in us? Well, there is also a possibility that probably an Indian company would just choose to not invest Novartis investment was only 10% in the development okay. and since it was an orphan drug, the FDA permitted them to do lesser trials okay. and spend less money. The Supreme Court verdict putting into question the fate of patents of other western drugs in India for breast cancer, HIV AIDS and tuberculosis. In Mumbai, Meloni Bhatt for NDTV. So our special debate tonight, patience first versus profit. I'll go across now to an interview I did a short while earlier this evening with Ranjit Shani, co-chairman and managing director of Novartis India. We'll also be joined by a special panel. But Mr. Shani, thank you for joining me. Much debate after your statement yesterday, making it clear 
that uh, Novartis is going to cut down on its investment on research and development in India. What actually did you mean by that? So clearly, uh, this is a disappointment uh, for innovative pharma industry because uh, Glivec is one of the most innovative products and has a patent in every single country that we have launched the product in. So the IP environment in India is not very conducive. You've seen uh, three or four cases recently. A uh, patent was granted to Pfizer for Sutant. It mm -hmm. was revoked. A patent was granted to Bayer for Nexavar. You have compulsory license. And just uh, yesterday, uh, MSD's product, Genuvia, there was a patent granted, but the local FDA from a state has allowed a generic company to make the product. So the whole IP environment is very uncertain. The implementation is patchy. And clearly, this doesn't permit global companies to strategically plan their investments ahead. Well, Mr. Shani, strong words from you, but India's Commerce Minister Anand Sharma has welcomed the judgment and he made it clear. He said, in fact, that India completely fulfills all its obligations under the treaty signed with WTO under TRIPS. So in that sense, when you challenge uh, this and say that, you know, that the investment climate and this is bad uh, for international investment, it, clearly India's politicians don't agree at all. They say this is upholding the rule of Indian law. No, uh, I think he mentioned it in relation to the judgment made by the Honorable Supreme Court. Uh, what I'm mentioning is the whole range of issues around patents mm -hmm. and also the fact, for example, there is no data protection in the country, uh, clinical trials are on a whole. So the whole IP ecosystem certainly does not encourage global companies to make large investments in India. Uh, since 2005, uh, we have the patent law in India since 2005, but every single investment for research has gone to China. You have seven global companies, Novartis, Roche, Pfizer, Sanofi, uh, AstraZeneca, uh, GSK, and Eli Lilly. All of them have invested in research in China. If the IP environment was good in India, at least, at least one of them should have come to India. But so clearly there's something amiss. Uh, you know, there is a lot of rhetoric about uh, this investments uh, coming to India, but the yes. reality is the high end of the investments, research, which should be rightfully in India, is just not coming here. No, but uh, Mr. Shani, again, as I said, uh, you've taken the China example, but the issue here is not about profits and where pharma companies uh, put their dollars. It's really more about saving lives. And in that sense, there is something about the larger principle which has been upheld by the Supreme Court. So in that sense, big pharma companies surely should perhaps look inwards rather than talk about profits and the bottom line? I, I couldn't agree with that more. But the price of Glivec in India is effectively zero because 95% of the patients get it absolutely free. The balance 5% get it at a generous copay program pricing. Even at 8,000 rupees of generics pricing, which is bandied so loudly, is three times the per capita income of an average Indian. So how is that affordable? I think... Uh, this pricing that you are talking of 1 lakh 20,000 mm -hmm. is a global price that doesn't exist in India. And I think you, I need to make that absolutely clear. No, but uh, pricing, let me uh, specify what I, uh, is when we look at the comparisons given in court as well, it said that 1 lakh 
20,000 for Glivec compared to 8,000 rupees. You're saying even 8,000 rupees is unaffordable. But what would you say is the actual price? If you're saying 1,20,000 is wrong, what would you say is the actual price of this drug Glivec in India? The price for 95% of the patients is zero. You can't go lower than that. For the balance, 5%, uh, they pay for a minimum of eight days in a year. Balance 357 days, they get it free. And maximum, they pay for 80 days, depending on the income. So it's an extremely generous uh, access program. No, but and I think this is a point which is missing in every single channel or the newspaper about the price of 1,20,000. Uh, it is not true. No, but it is uh, just not true. You're saying that's not, it's available differently because you subsidize it. But then what, what does that mean? That 5% compensates, that the profit of 5% is enough to compensate for 95% going free? Where is the subsidy actually coming from? It's from the profits being made on this drug. First of all, uh, the cross subsidy is coming globally. The price of subsidy is coming from the, uh, the sales made either in Europe or U USA. That is where the price of the product is 1,20,000. Over here, effectively, uh, there is no profit being made. How can there be profit when 95% of the people mm -hmm. get at a price zero and 5% have a copay program, which is very generous? But, uh, Just not possible. But Mr. Shani, the Supreme Court uh, judgment, in a sense, has been welcomed globally because it's about a principle. It's not about a subsidy given to the drug in India. It's about the fact that India now uh, the largest uh, provider, in a sense, of uh, generic drugs around the world. It's been welcomed by countries like Africa, by international health agencies. India is the world's pharmacy, so the judgment has implications globally, the principle being that life-saving drugs must come at affordable prices. No, so first of all, Novartis never had a patent for the product in India, and therefore this question of evergreening does not arise at all. Mm -hmm. I think the question is there's ever delaying of patent in India. In fact, as I said to you earlier on, even the patents granted uh, have uh, not been given uh, the right environment. So there is really ever delaying of patent. There's no evergreening of patent in India. I think that should be also very clear. On the other hand, as far as uh, the national company is concerned, uh, they keep talking about being pharmacy to the world. I'd rather they be pharmacy to India first. 70% of their product is all exported. When two-thirds of India's population has no access to medicine, why is that, that not being supplied there? And that's a question I would like to ask. I'll answer that. I, I'll just come back to Mr. Gore, but that's an interesting point. You're pointing to what you say is a hypocrisy of the Indian pharmaceutical industry that they're uh, exporting cheap drugs outside. But let me just ask you, because I think in the sense when global pharma, uh, U.S. pharma firms are pushing this agenda, many have pointed to the examples we've seen already. For example, the famous uh, AZT drugs, which were patented for almost for decades because of what we, uh, the Supreme Court at least, would term frivolous patents. So just extending uh, patents to keep the to keep the monopoly and actually blocking people's, uh, blocking it from getting to people. We saw this, then CIPLA came in and broke that uh, monopoly. Africa was the greatest beneficiary. Look at that case and when you compare that to what's happening today, aren't we just seeing a replay? No, that is, that is not true. I think you take one extreme example to prove a point. By and large, uh, what is called as incremental innovation uh, should not be literally called incremental innovation because these are innovations which dramatic health outcomes, you know. Uh, and the example that you just quoted was one out of exception. In, in general, that is not true. It's absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. In any case, 
globally it is known that innovations come step by step mm-hmm. there is never a breakthrough innovation that, that happens once in a decade usually innovations are built on step by step innovations so you've actually said that even though the overwhelming response we've seen across uh, the board in many sense except for pharmaceutical firms and the US Chamber of Commerce has been to welcome the decision you've said that this is actually bad for patients and you feel that it's bad for India's investment climate as well final words from you on this Mr Shani tonight so clearly given the current ip climate uh, big pharma will be cautious in their investments in india clearly they will launch products if the patents is granted uh, clearly they'll be watching the space whether data protection comes in or whether global clinical trials are allowed i think uh, every step of the way there has to be some certainty because without this you cannot strategically plan the future and finally it's not about big pharma it's about patients I think the Indian patient deserves more. Indian patient deserves the latest medicine. Indian patient deserves innovation. Indian patient deserves a life expectancy, mm-hmm. which today is one of the lower at the lower end of the world. Mr. Shani, thank you very much uh, for joining me. That was uh, Mr. Shani. I spoke to him earlier today. Mr. Anand Grover, you of course uh, were in the Supreme Court fighting for the Cancer Patient Aid Association. You wanted to respond to Mr. Shani. Go ahead. Yes, all the statements, all premises of Mr. Shani are incorrect. Let me go one by one. First of all, costing. This drug and a number of other drugs are actually invented not by private companies but by publicly funded programs. This drug was invented by National Institute of Health and Brian Drucker. The cost of this drug, let's take the cost of this mm-hmm. drug. The cost of this drug because it's an often drug, they get a tax break according to industry studies that is their own studies the cost of a blockbuster drug which is if you take 10 drugs and you come on with the uh, one which makes 1 billion dollars a year mm-hmm. is a blockbuster drug ought to be 800 million dollars now because it's an often drug it would be 400 that's their own study other studies have shown is 200 100 and 50 million but let's take their own own data in the first year according to their own data on the website they made 1 billion dollars One, no, no. Let me complete. Yes. So, one billion after the first year, the next ten to twelve years, they are just making pure profit. Give me. Let me give another example. You made that point. That's how we're subsidizing ninety-five percent no, 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 of the patients. There was a way of doing it. They used to do it earlier, but that's the problem. What they used to do was they would have tiered pricing mm-hmm. for developing countries. Everybody would everybody would get it at a tiered price, which was lower. patients don't want charity these people do not supply 95% free there are a large number of patients who are on netco drugs i have friends who have been refused by them because of various reasons and they want to control the patients and we challenge them in the court in the court they did not rebut anything now they are coming out with the, out of this bag but let me innovation innovation why is india sticking to this law why has the supreme court upheld it 76% of the drugs in the us and europe are just tweaking a molecule unfortunately for them what they're doing is they're giving the same incentive for those drugs which are just tweaking and also for real innovation sure. now these companies want to just spend a little money and make lots of money they are only interested in profits please appreciate that thirdly gpa program is not supplying the drugs there has been fraud criminal charges in latin america and people here have also mentioned this investment india has not seen any investment in pharmaceuticals since 2000 all the pharmaceutical companies have disinvested please understand the facts but 
Finally, no, he, no, let no, me just No, he made that point as well, but I just want to get in, Mr. Grover, because you've raised about six or seven no, points. No, I'm answering his point. Let me just yes. finish the two things. If they withdraw, they'll be the losers. They're giving it free. They would make money if they had lowered prices from the beginning. All these people have been advised wrongly by some lawyers or some advisors. They should have tiered pricing. They so, would not have compulsory licensing, And I think the point is they're looking at emerging markets because markets are drying up in other parts of the world. But Harish Salve come in here, who was uh, rep in this case arguing uh, for CIPLA. Of course, CIPLA uh, led the forefront to the vanguard of that fight for cheaper drugs. The AZ AZ3 drugs, which I mentioned in my question to Mr. Shani, again supplied by CIPLA. It's much cheaper prices to Africa. The heart of the debate, really, about profit versus patients. Now, you've represented often uh, the other side of the argument as well, arguing that you know, for you need a clear uh, investment culture, you need clear rules. You've seen the arguments that are coming out from the American Chamber of Commerce, from Mr. Shani a short while ago, is that this muddies the investment climate. We don't know the rules in India. There are no rules. What's I know, actually and it's going being helped. And muddying is being helped by this whole debate, which is being run in the media of profit versus patient. That, that was not the debate in Supreme Court. The debate was honesty versus dishonesty. Mm-hmm. The way in which Novartis presented its case for obtaining the patents, shifting grounds, sometimes saying it's a two-stage invention, sometimes saying it's a one-stage invention. When it suited them, the old patent was good enough to stop Natco. When it suited them, the, the new product was necessary. And I'll tell you why they had to come in with this beta crystal theory. We were able to prove in court that under the Indian regime, legal regime, when we introduced product patents, the original patent, Zimmerman patent was not entitled to a patent. Mm -hmm. So they invented this beta crystal and said, oh, this is a new product completely and tried to get it. Where it suited them, they said something else. Now, Mr. Shani can talk whatever he wants and if he doesn't want to invest in India, it's fine. But the point is, it has been established and it has been found by Supreme Court that this product is not new. It is covered by the old patent. Where is the question of not investing and muddying the climate? Unless you say that, look, we multinationals are gods above and if we tell you something, how dare you Indians disbelieve us. Believe us and act accordingly. But Mr. Salve, why I'm asking on profit versus patients is because of the implications this has for other cases which are currently in, the, uh, in various courts around India, whether it's uh, Pfizer's anti-cancer drug. And you've seen that uh, uh, Pfizer has reacted as well. You've heard in a congressional hearing a few months ago, they again talked about the fact that we don't know where the rules are in the, uh, the Indian investment climate is extremely uncertain. Oh, they know, they know other cases pending as well. So uh, there are, there are it, precedents it, it, that this will set is, for other cases. Of course, this is meant to set a precedent on as far as the interpretation of Section 3D is concerned. Mm-hmm. And you must understand, when we drafted this law, there was a lot of concern that we will allow what is called evergreening. Mm-hmm. All systems have a way of checking evergreening. On the floor of Parliament, the amendment was moved by Mr. Kamal Nath because he sat and negotiated with the left parties. And Justice Krishna here drafted Section 3D. This is our weapon against evergreening. No system permits evergreening. Uh, Now, our law is very clear. Add therapeutic efficacy. Otherwise, you will not get a patent. And I think this is a very important judgment that is being watched across the world. Let me get in here, Mr. Ramesh Swaminathan. Now, he's the CFO and president of uh, Lupin Limited. Lupin amongst the big five pharmaceutical companies in India, uh, subsidiary of the U.S.-based company Lupin. Mr. Swaminathan, Lupin does generic drugs as well. In that sense, you have uh, both perspectives on this argument. 
what do you think is the big takeaway from this judgment, the impact on other uh, drug uh, cases which are of course are pending, the impact on the pharmaceutical industry and the availability of drugs for patients? Uh, at the outset, let me tell you that uh, this has no repercussions when it comes to the rest of the world because mm -hmm. uh, we respect the laws of the country in which we operate. So essentially, we would not be exporting this drug to other parts of the world. Uh, when it comes to India, obviously, the Supreme Court decision has been very clear that uh, evergreening of patents would not be allowed, principally because uh, there is no, uh, you know, uh, increase in effectiveness of this medicine itself when it comes to, to India. Uh, just because you actually have uh, something called incremental innovation in some part of the world, it does not necessarily mean that uh, we need to respect that. Uh, so clearly this is a victory for, uh, you know, for uh, uh, the generic industry when we say that, uh, you know, uh, any attempts made by uh, big pharma to evergreen patents, this would not be tolerated. Uh, this, I think, is a precursor for other countries also potentially. Uh, I do know, as a matter of fact, that Philippines oh, yes. also has a very similar law. And uh, I think uh, it's a victory for mankind in terms of providing affordable medicine to people around. A victory for mankind. If I can bring in uh, from New York now, Mr. Tahir Amin, who is a lawyer who specializes in cases uh, uh, dealing with uh, patents. Mr. Amin, one of the arguments put forward by Novartis and other big pharmaceutical firms, and in, in this case, Novartis has said that this patent has been granted for this in countries like the Japan, the U.S., etc. So why is India an exception? On the other hand, you've had many uh, organizations uh, uphold India and say that, look, you are really leading a fight for the world here. Do you think there are larger implications globally? Uh, Mr. The Swaminathan mentioned the Philippines, but Mr. Shani's pointed to Japan and the U.S. Good evening. Um, I think that there could be uh, global implications, uh, but just listening to the debate, uh, I, I, I think the, the, the nuances uh, that, are being, uh, that are being missed here is that mm -hmm. Every country has its own ability to define uh, the parameters of patentability. India has looked at its own development policy and chosen this path, and I think it has every right to do so. Uh, given all the trade pressures from the EU and the US, uh, seeking to define and protect their own industries abroad, India has every right to protect its own industries at home. It also, also serves the developing world. So this whole idea that uh, countries should be following a particular harmonized route is, 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 is wrong, it's misleading, because every country has a different step in its development process. The US went through its own, Europe went through its own, and I think India and all these other developing countries who may be looking at this decision now have every right to maybe reconfigure how it suits their own domestic needs. Harmana Gupta, come in here because uh, Mr. Salve said don't make it a profit versus patience. But let's focus it on a victory for, uh, the other quote was a victory for mankind in a sense. When you look at patients and Mr. Amin saying, look, this is about countries and each country will have its individual law. Do we miss the point that patients, wherever they are in any part of the world, are entitled to a drug which is not a result of, say, genuine innovation or a genuine breakthrough, are entitled to the benefits of that drug after a certain time has passed. And that's for instance, if you were in Japan and this patent is upheld, you wouldn't get this drug at this price. Is that, uh, is that fair, would you say? No, I think that uh, you can't really treat this uh, field the same as any other, uh, where you're doing a business or selling a commodity. Because here it's a question of lives. And if we lose sight of that, what are we doing all this for? One really wonders. And we know that Gleevec is a drug that is not just adding days to people's lives. I mean, you could make an argument and say if it's just a question of days, it doesn't really matter. You are adding years to people's lives. 
and how can you therefore um, be talking and discussing this uh, only in terms of intellectual property right, uh, incremental innovation, uh, whatever. I mean the bottom line is this saves lives and people have a right to have access to it so that they can live longer. But do the drug companies have a right, uh, Mr. Shani's and some other pharmaceutical firms, uh, implication is that this is actually bad for patients. You're not encouraging innovation. You're not encouraging Indian pharmaceutical companies, say, to invest in research because they can not take generics They can take generics off that. Is it bad for patients? Mr. Salve, go ahead. What innovation are we talking about? I'll tell you the real point is being missed here. Mm -hmm. What these companies do, it's always a trade-off. At what stage has your research reached? Now, the danger is if you wait for too long to get into a specific product, there is a danger somebody else in the meanwhile may jump the gun and beat you to it. Mm -hmm. So what they go and do is they go first and get a patent for what they call the Markush formula, the blanket formula. Mm -hmm. Illustration 21, in the list of specifications, mentioned the methylate salt. And manner of making was said to be the usual manner. So you get a patent. When Natco tries to sell it, you prevent it saying, look at the Zimmerman patent, you can't sell it. Mm -hmm. Now that patent is running out. Be in India, because of the timing when we opened our patent regime, that patent doesn't get into India. So you try to circuit around it and say, oh, but I have suddenly discovered a beta form. And this is great. I just, uh, no, I this just is want a completely to, new product. I and just you, want to, to, you want to package it as a new innovation. I just wanted that, I think, has been conclusively ruled out by the Supreme Court. But I want to bring in a different aspect of this debate. And uh, uh, Mr. Swaminathan, if you could come in from Lupin, this whole point of research and that pharmaceutical companies will research or innovate only if there's eventually a profit or the bottom line makes sense. So that's the principle of it as a business. Many, in fact, Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is, some, is a foundation that's challenged these traditional concepts. And I think Bill Gates himself made the point that why is it that more money goes into research for a male anti-boldness drug than goes into finding a cure for malaria? That this whole profit argument is actually what's making people so angry with the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my point, taking this entire situation is that while profits are important for a corporate, you should not lose uh, object, you know, the, the larger picture in terms of social objectives as well. Uh, it's important to, uh, to actually have a balance between the two. Uh, and that's exactly what the generic industry is all about, making affordable medicine across the globe. Uh, so to the extent I believe that this, uh, you know, will not really impact, it will not be disruptive to the industry itself. Can I, uh, well, you know, I think we have to understand that there has to be profit. What is the extent of the profit? It's reasonable profit. But what has happened over the past 25 years in the U.S. and Europe, most of the money is going on only in tweaking the molecule and making huge profits. We are not talking of 10%, 20%. We are talking of thousands of percent. Let me just give you an example. In 2001, you remember the ARV drugs that you talked about. Mm -hmm. It was $10,000 per year per person. Mm -hmm. CIPLA announced 350 without any infrastructure. Why did it fall all over the world to 750? Mm -hmm. They are still making a profit. Mm -hmm. So the profits are huge. We are talking about huge profits. But if they are prepared to make reasonable profits, then there is no difficulty. So what I have been advocating, even in the US, please give patents for real innovations like in India. Mm -hmm. Our rules are very certain. Everybody knows. Mr. Yeah, Swaminathan is very clear about it. What are the rules? And that is good for patients and profits. That is the road we have to take. And Sonia, if I can just say that really, I feel something really innovative is you make a product that is also affordable. 
and that more people why aren't we looking at innovation from that point of let view let me bring too? in tahir amin for uh, tahir amin for that other that's view a, on that because that's i think that's added to our definition of invention let me yes. bring in uh, tahir amin for a view uh, from definition. for a view from new york on that looking at that example for instance because uh, novartis has the patent on this uh, drug in the us generic versions of this drug will not be available there you made the point that each country goes to its own development its own patent model but is that entirely fair look at the cipla example which provided uh, anti aids drugs at affordable prices uh, globally Well, India was only able to do that because it didn't have patent laws until 2005. So that's a good um, thing. You have to understand that uh, every uh, that's a, this is a very good thing. If you look at even the East Asia East Asia tiger economies which became leaders in software and and electronics, mm -hmm. they did that without IP protection. If you look at Europe in the early 90 in the early early part of this century, Germany didn't have patents till very late on chemicals. all countries have developed largely through copying the us did it through copying mm -hmm. and what what the developed countries are trying to do now is they're trying to kick away the ladder for these countries to climb up this is all about competition i think let's let's forget about this whole innovation debate because i think we this is a political mouthpiece through which uh, people love to get onto this innovation bandwagon and there's plenty of studies out there i myself have done it my colleagues have done it anan grover has done it the innovation debate is 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 a red herring This is actually about preserving markets it's about creating new markets and India is a huge market for these companies purely because there's a slither of people who they can actually sell this drug to it's equivalent of having a population of Europe a 50 million or something people mm -hmm. who could pay these prices so this whole innovation thing is 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 a misleading because they're actually as anand has already said there's a number of compounds which are just being retweaked and they're not even new chemical entities So th the real issue is, is is are we going to try and fix the system and I want to bring this to the actual patent law because as a as a lawyer from the UK we used to have all this text that used to say the modern patent law and there was a there's a great high court judge there who's unfortunately passed away who's an IP, a leading IP attorney and he he wrote an article in early 2004 he said what's invention got to do with it and basically he believed in the patent system but he said we have to change it because actually we're reaching a point in science where everything's being repeated and is obvious mm -hmm. so what we have to do if there are going to be incentives for companies to do this kind of work then we either have to say they're not inventive but we're going to reward their uh, investment or we have to say that basically we need a whole new system Harish, all this innovation talk is is a red herring as far as i'm concerned harish salve how do we actually look at that because of course we know that uh, the commerce minister has also been heading uh, to brussels india may well inter enter into treaties which may involve us more to come under an international uh, patents law an international no, regime no, no, which no. could be on different on the contrary yes go ahead on the contrary when we negotiated the doha mm -hmm. in trips we have the flexibility we built on flexibility for developing countries point number 1 point number 2 the supreme court judgment extracts a letter mm -hmm. written by the world health organization to kamalath expressing grave concern mm -hmm. if these kind of drugs are given uh, patent protection because we are not just consuming these ourselves we are supplying to a host of poorer asian countries who cannot afford these uh, high priced drugs so can india in fact these use medicine sans borders and i'll tell you i i remember seeing distinctly some senatorial material in the us mm -hmm. where recently they say maybe we need something like 3d Exactly. You know, fact, even in America, there is a thinking that maybe this 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 thing is going too far. As Anand said, that you tweak a molecule and you and you get a patent. In and fact, there is some thinking there also that maybe this is going too far. 
in fact, uh, Mr. S uh, Swaminathan, if you can come in on that, the point is, uh, at least in this story, we've seen big pharma firms cast as the villain, and it's not only on this issue, but there have been many cases that have come up. I mentioned uh, the Bill Gates example, questioning the priorities of uh, big pharma firms, also the issue of clinical trials, again, used in de uh, developing countries like India. You've seen the issue also, what kind of drugs are actually being prescribed by doctors, the close uh, links between pharmaceutical firms and doctors, all these coming up. So in that sense, including in the U.S., Pharma firms are getting a bad rap. Yeah, I know, absolutely. The fact remains that 85% of the uh, you know medicines prescribed in every part of the world would actually be medicines which are off patent. Um, and the fact remains that um, you know the uh, pharma companies, the big pharma companies, are running out of a pipeline for for generating further profits. They're trying to actually evergreen their patents. Uh, and that approach is not correct at all because they've earned their due share in terms of making profits. And uh, it's, it's time to actually look at uh, the larger society and, uh, and what is due to them. Is that, is that happening realistically, Harmala Gupta? Is that happening? Do we see even well, in Well, it's India not happening because we've seen a number of cases, even in the Americas, yes. uh, where you know, Big Pharma continues to actually look at um, avenues for, uh, for evergreening their patents. We saw that Natalvastatin, uh, you know, efforts being made by Pfizer, uh, which was uh, latest time made by, in fact, uh, you know, the authorities themselves. So um, it's happening time and again, and we experience this whenever in whichever market that we actually operate. In. No, but uh, one point which Mr. Shani raised. I must uh, tell you, Sonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead, but I just want to ask a one point. Mr. Yeah, but one point also Mr. Shani raised, which you can come in on, is the fact that he says, look, let the Indian pharmaceutical industry look inwards. Are they also looking at profits here? They're exporting most of their generic drugs. They're not providing enough drugs for the patients here in India. Go ahead, Mr. Salve. I don't no, think I Mr. Don't Shani think so needs to worry about how India regulates the its medical market. We, we will find some ways of doing it. No, but, but we have found let's, some uh, come to one very important issue. Mm -hmm. Let's come to a very important issue. One of the arguments run on behalf of Novartis was that this is covered even if it is not disclosed. Mm -hmm. Now see where, where this is leading to. Conceptually, patent is a reward for making your knowledge public. So what I have discovered, I make that public. I get a patent for 20 years, but the rest of the world knows my work mm -hmm. and picks up from there and does further work. So that the next invention comes from my work. Now, if, if multinationals are going to say, we have by artful drafting covered it, but not disclosed it, and therefore someday when you come and make this product, I'll spring it at you and say it is covered even if not disclosed. Our court said, sorry, in India, we do not accept any such theories. And this shows the important point that innovation has run out. So you are not trying to uh, recycle just hog your old product just monopolize by saying, it oh, this is covered but not disclosed, etc. Monopolize it for life. Anand Grover, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I want to address one of the points that Mr. Shani made that Indian patients are not able to access 70. This is perfectly correct. Mm -hmm. But we can do it. The Rajasthan government has decided, as you know, for the last one year mm -hmm. to provide drugs free of charge. They are doing it. They are the happiest people today because of this decision. They are going to make sure that cancer drugs are available at affordable prices. But if we had Novartis to do it, and Novartis also tried to partner with them, they wanted to have an exclusive partnership with the Rajasthan government, sell it at 8,000, but the law requires that it has to be transparent, tendered. Mm -hmm. And Indian generic companies, whichever they are, are still cheaper than 8,000. So this decision, allowing no patenting for such tweaking, will allow the government to make drugs available to 100% of the patients. That is the road we have adopted. But the larger question, why aren't Indian companies pushing for research for, say, an anti-malaria drug? Why do you need a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to actually do that? Is the, is the Shani point right, Harmala Gupta, that Indian companies are not pulling their uh, muscle, in a sense, in India where it matters? 
Well, I think, you know, uh, remember the pharmaceutical companies also are not uh, operating in isolation. There's a whole system around everything. Right. So in India as well, you, uh, if you want research to go forward, you have to have a setup that, provide, that provides the support to it. And here I must say that even uh, when it comes to the practitioners themselves, mm -hmm. they aren't completely isolated from the ph pharmaceutical companies. Neither are governments. There are lots of vested interests, neither insurance companies as we know. So, so it's really a very large network. And if we are that's to fix it. That's what we need it, to crack. And if exactly. We need to fix it, I think. We have to actually fix the entire system. Yes. Yeah, so not just one judgment. It will go much beyond because really, as I said, the uh, difference in life and death for millions of patients, not just in India, but around the world. Thank you all very much, uh, my special guests on the panel, for joining me tonight. It was great to have you on a key topic. Let's just go across uh, to the other story tonight. That is rocking Kerala politics at the moment. Now, this is normally a story we wouldn't touch because it's about a dispute between a husband and wife. But the issues raised here are serious. A minister's wife, uh, the minister resigned just last night, went to the chief minister saying she had been beaten, that she had faced domestic violence. What did the chief minister do? She claims that he didn't go to the police at that point. No action is actually taken and that this continues. And now the husband has rushed to court claiming a divorce. Then in the assembly today, there was disruptions as the opposition demanded the chief minister, Uman Chandi, must resign. <laughs> A marital dispute that has threatened the Kerala government. The assembly turned into a war zone with the minister resigning after being accused of domestic abuse by his wife. Protesters angry at what they claim is inaction against Kumar by Chief Minister Chandi. Been physically abused since 16 years to 17 years, maybe two years after my marriage. It is this petition that I was going to give him before, but he asked me to wait and he asked me to give him a chance to go for an out-of-court settlement. The Kerala government, which failed in its role as a marriage counsellor, is now firefighting a political crisis. Within the parliament, within the assembly, the opposition is demanding that the chief minister step down and outside the assembly there are various pressure groups like this, such as the DYFI and several other groups which are out in the streets taking law into their hands, demanding that such things not happen in their state. We demanded to resign the chief minister, step down and make inquiry on the incident, the whole incident. See? And according to the uh, Domestic Atrocity Act, uh, a former minister, Ganesh, is in a, one of the accused. The chief minister has denied allegations made by Yamini Tankachi. In fact, he says that the police has taken prompt action. Even as the opposition meets to decide their next course of action, the reality of domestic violence does not rest with any specific family as in this case, but transcends to several families where unfortunately it's treated as an unspoken norm. With camera person SP Babu, Sneha Koshi for NDTV. Joining me live this evening is Dr. Yamini Tankachi, uh, the wife of the minister who's resigned, Ganesh Kumar. And, uh, Dr. Tankachi, thank you very much for joining us. You've seen how this a yeah. personal matter, a matter yeah, thank you. has really become such a huge political issue in Kerala. Now, the State Congress has refused to join us in the program, but they've yeah. asked many questions. They've asked why you kept silent for so many years, why you didn't go to the police. Is this all become a political conspiracy now, as your husband, the ex-minister, claims? No, right from the beginning, uh, this problem started uh, in my marriage 
around three years after my marriage and I've been going through this physical abuse from, uh, from the third year of my marriage. Uh, this has always happened due to his illicit relationships. Whenever I have questioned it or asked an explanation for it, he has reacted to me by this physical abuse. It took me around uh, two to three years to understand that these kind of relationships were there and that it was really there to understand it because I was very young when I got married and I was a student, I was an MBBS student and so I could not realize that this was happening to me. But after I reacted, started reacting, this was the response I started getting. I could not tell my own family but because I just had my own mother, my father had passed away. If my father had been there, he was an army officer. If he had been there, I would have gone back home within the first week of my marriage. But since I did not have anybody at home to back me up, just my mother, mm -hmm. I I thought his family who was knowing from day one about the injustice being meted out to me, they would back me and they would be able to solve the problems for me. And so they knew everything about it. I went on that way and my last trial was to try for a baby thinking that maybe once he becomes a father he would become more responsible and a caring to the family. Yes. But that did not happen. He continued his illicit relationships and started taking my son also to these houses. But, uh, That's when Dr. I took Tanka a stand really and the, I decided the, the to separate from him. The question I asked really is that of course the opposition has said that if this can happen to a minister's wife, what about if this is happening to a, a person who doesn't have the access to the chief minister? But the Congress uh, people have asked the question that why go to the chief minister at all? Why didn't you go to the police at any time in this last uh, 16, 17 years uh, when you claim there's been this violence? And bring this up as a criminal case. Why go to the chief minister at all? Because uh, for me, until now, I had never come out into the open because I have my children. I am from a family which is very well known in the society. I cannot just come out that way. It was, it was, I always hesitated. Even at this moment, it's because I'm cornered. I'm at that state where I cannot, I cannot go on any further. Mm -hmm. and, and everybody knows in Kerala that uh, in our family, even though in his family everybody knew about it, and everybody has tried their best to um, uh, find a solution to our problem, mm -hmm. he is a person who does not even listen to his father. That is a well-known fact. He and so now father. it is at this point mm -hmm. that... Uh, at, yeah. No, sorry, my father-in-law. Your father-in-law is uh, a well-known politician as well. But just uh, just to make that point, your husband came yes. uh, yesterday with pictures saying that he had been assaulted. Do you feel, in a sense, that why, many people have said, his supporters, that why should they believe your word against his? Why should they believe that the chief minister did nothing? It's just your word against uh, the chief minister of the state and uh, an ex-minister now. Yeah, I mean, I, I am just telling the truth. That is all I have. I have only the truth by my side. And it is a fact that this, uh, this event or this physical violence which happened, it happened on February 22nd. On February 23rd, I have telephoned the chief minister. I have uh, informed the family members. Mm -hmm. And since he would not listen to anybody, I had asked the, uh, the only person whom he would listen to, I thought, was the chief minister because he is uh, a minister of his own cabinet. So I informed the chief minister. But my first and foremost concern was my son who was going through his 10th board exams. Mm -hmm. So I did not want any of this news to come out in the open. 
I was just waiting for March 14th when his exams would be over. But before that, it came out in the papers and it became a big hue and cry in the television. It was a big news because it had already come out. And so I had personally gone and seen the um, uh, chief minister after that with the complaint. And the chief minister asked me to give him time to solve the problem. I had shown him all my wounds. I had told him everything. Mm -hmm. And he said, please give us one chance to solve this issue outside court we will make an amicable settlement for you he also ordered or he uh, he appointed certain mediators for the talks they had several discussions and we came to an agreement which was again signed in front of the advocates and in, uh, with the um, uh, in front of the chief minister mm -hmm. and after that the implementation of the agreement what was what we were waiting for 30th was the last date I had been in contact with the chief minister on 30th and on 31st. If I had to go ahead with any political agenda in mind, I could have done it long back. But this I wanted an amicable settlement. One, I had I had no intention of, intention of going ahead because even if he did all this to me, he was still the father of my children. And secondly, the chief minister had given me full faith that he would bring about a settlement outside. Do you feel? So I was just waiting for that. So I did not that? go ahead. But now, when he do has come Dr. ahead with a case yes. do and defamed me with blatant lies, mm -hmm. I had to, yeah. Do you feel, Dr. Thankachi, that the chief minister let you down? The opposition says he must resign because how can he protect women in the state if he can't protect uh, somebody like you who complained to him about domestic abuse uh, in, in her marriage? Do you feel the chief minister has let you down? He should resign? Uh, the point is that the chief minister has been very positive to me from day one. He had been there for us. He had been there for the mediation. He had been there to see that everything went fairly. Even on the last day when I called to him, he had never given, given me an inkling that he knew that the next day a case was going to come unilaterally from my husband's side. I don't know whether he knew about it. So, But finally when the case came and I was... I was defamed to a, a really bad extent. The, the allegations upon me are totally untrue, but it was a real defamation of my character. Right. And that is why I was cornered and I had to go ahead with this. And that is why I felt that I was all alone. After believing in all of them for so yeah. long and extending my, and just keeping quiet, never coming in front of the media, I felt totally alone. Dr. Tankachi, thank you uh, for speaking to us this evening. I know there will be many who challenge your story, but I'm glad to hear your version. And let's see what the police actually investigate and find out. Thank you very much, Dr. Tankachi, for joining us this evening. It's always difficult to thank talk about you. domestic violence. Thank you very much. Yes.